So we are going to talk about the resurrection this morning because it's Easter Sunday. But if you've ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see that there's this whole story that takes place before we ever get to the resurrection. So we're not going to start with the resurrection this morning, but we are going to build back up to our scripture reading from this morning. But if you want to turn somewhere in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to begin here in just a moment. About a decade ago, I was starting a career in youth ministry. So as a part of reaching out to youth group kids in their own environment, uh, I took up some occasional substitute teaching at the local schools. My rule was I was afraid of elementary age students, so my rule was to stick with high school. You know, they were easy. You give them a worksheet, they do their own work, and you're just kind of there for the day. Uh, There's a school in the Mount Pleasant, Titus County area called Hearts Bluff. I think we have at least one student here this morning who attends Hearts Bluff, so I'll say from the beginning, it's a great school, but it's a kindergarten through eighth grade school, so it's a feeder school into other high schools. Uh, So I never wanted to sub there because it's mainly the younger kids. Uh, But when the secretary at Hearts Bluff discovered that I was willing to substitute, she started calling me and asking me to please come sub. So finally, I agreed to it because she said that I will put you with the older kids. So I showed up one Tuesday morning. I got my schedule, and I was subbing for the PE teacher, and first period was kindergarten. (laughs) So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, I'll I'll stick it out this day because I told her I'd be here, uh, but this is it. So I went, and I picked up about 35 five- through six-year-olds. I brought them into the gym, Now, there was a permanent teacher who was also with me that day, and when she saw it was a sub, she said, hey, i got to go check some emails. I'll be back in a little while. Just have them play tag in the gym. So I'm by myself with all these five- and six-year-olds, and they're running around playing tag, and within the first few minutes, I've already had 10 to 12 kids come to me crying. This is before I have kids of my own, and I still don't really know what to do when they come to me crying, but when they would come to me crying, I would just say, just go sit on the bleachers. So within the first 10 minutes of class, the whole front row of the bleachers is filled up with kids crying, and then here comes this kid walking across the gym. Uh, He's crying, so I rolled my eyes, and I said, what is it now? And he turned his hand towards me, and there was blood gushing out of his hand, and I could see this huge gash across his hand. So my immediate reaction is I went, ah, like that, and when I yelled, he started yelling, and then all the kids were yelling. And I didn't know what to do with him. I know you're supposed to put pressure on the wound, probably, uh, but it was really grossing me out, making me a little queasy. So I just grabbed him. I was new to the school. I didn't even know where the nurse was. So I said, let's just go. So we took off running across this field towards the office. And about halfway across the field, I turned around, and the entire kindergarten class was running behind us. So I dropped the kid off at the office. I said, this kid needs to go to the emergency room, and I looked at the clock, and we are 15 minutes into first period of the, <laughs> the only day I ever substituted at this school. The rest of that day, uh, every period that came through, they sat on the bleachers. I didn't let them go to the bathroom. I didn't let them kick a soccer ball. I didn't let them shoot a basketball. My decision-making, my judgment, my skills that day were based on my experience, my circumstances. The text we're going to read this morning is kind of strange. It's about John the Baptist, but what we're going to see is his circumstances affect his thinking and his judgment. 
The text is going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, you can. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Let me read verse 3 again, because that's the title of our lesson this morning. John said, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? For another. Verse 4, Jesus answered and he said, Go tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is a very strange text. But I love the question that John asks in verse 3. Are you the one? I think that's a great question, but his question leads to more questions. And it leads me to ask the question, why, of all people, is John the Baptist the one asking this question? If you know the story, it starts when they were in the womb. John and Jesus were cousins. They knew each other. John lived this very strange ministry out in the wilderness where he was baptizing thousands of people and preaching about repentance and preparing the way for the kingdom of God. And his whole purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. And then early on in the gospel ministry, Jesus comes to John and John baptizes him. Heavens are open. God speaks to Jesus. This very significant moment. So John, of all people, should know who Jesus is. So why, here in Matthew 11, is John the one sending this question, running the risk of spreading doubt to his own disciples as he sends them to Jesus to say, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? Well, we're told in verse 2 that John is in prison, so kind of like my situation when I substituted, his decision-making, his judgment, his thinking is highly influenced by his circumstances. He's sitting in a prison cell. He's been locked away. If you read ahead in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 14, he's put into prison by Herod. And Herod is the son of Herod the Great. And they are known for being power hungry and crazy. And there's a really good chance that John is never going to get out of prison. And we're told in Matthew 14, he doesn't. So not only is John sitting in a prison cell, but he's facing death. He's facing imminent death, and he knows the end is near. So while he feels like he's rotting away in a prison cell, while he's in pain, he sends this question to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for somebody else? Anybody in here a Tom Brady fan? Anybody a football fan? Nobody. Nobody raised their hand a Tom, uh, Tom Brady fan, and I knew that was going to happen because this is Texas, so we don't like Tom Brady. But Facebook did this documentary called Tom vs. Time, which I think is a funny title because you have a human being versus time itself. Well, if they're going to compete, who's going to win? We know time is eventually going to win out. But the reason they did this documentary is because Tom Brady, now at the age of 40, seems to be getting stronger and better with age when most people 
seem to get weaker. Maybe their mind is still sharp, but their, their arms get weaker, and they're not able to complete, compete and play at a fast pace like they were once able to. But somehow Tom Brady, at his age, is getting stronger, more precise, and he's still winning Super Bowls or at least going to the Super Bowl. So they did this documentary, Tom vs. Time, to try to figure out what's different about him. You know, how is he able to defy time like this? So they did a six-part series, and on the last little part, Tom said a few things in an interview that really stood out to me. One of them is he said, I know that I'm much closer to the end than I am the beginning. So he said, I savor each moment. I savor each season because I know the end is much closer than the beginning. And then he said, you have to ask yourself, why do you do this? Who am I doing this for? Why do I put my body through this? Why do I make all these sacrifices and go through all this stuff? What am I doing this for? And he said, the answer is conviction. If you are convicted at what you're doing, then it's worth it. But the moment that you start to lose your conviction, that's when you need to do something else. So as I heard that interview, I thought about Matthew 11, and I thought about John the Baptist. He's sitting in a prison cell. He's closer to the end than he is the beginning. And he's lived his life with this conviction, his his purpose. And now his conviction is starting to waver. And he's doubting. He's in a moment of darkness, and he asks this question to Jesus, Are you the one? A few years ago, a movie came out starring Will Smith called Collateral Beauty. In the beginning of the movie, he stands up to give a speech to his advertising agency. He's trying to pump them up to go and do work, and he says that all humans live with these three abstractions. All humans are connected by three things, love, time, and death. At the end of the day, all humans want to be loved... We wish we had more time, and we're afraid of death. Now, I know it's just a movie, and he's just reading from a movie script, but there's some truth to that. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted and feel like we belong. Time seems to slip away from us. At the end of each day and each year, we always think, man, where did the time go? And then death. Death is a scary thing. Death can be very frightening. So as John sits in this prison cell, his conviction is wavering, he's facing death, he's afraid. He's afraid of the other side of death. And there's only one person who knows what it's like on the other side, and that's the person who came from the other side, and that's Jesus. So it's like in a moment of desperation, John is crying out saying, are you the one? Are you going to do something? Are you going to comfort me? Are you going to give me some sort of peace as I face death. Now we know the circumstances of why John asks the question, are you the one? But I believe this is the most important question anybody could ever wrestle with. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. I don't know if you could ask this question, are you the one? And just say yes without even thinking twice about it. Or maybe you're at a place in your faith where you ask this question and you're really not sure. Maybe you're struggling with some doubt yourself. Uh, When I was at ACU working on my undergrad work in the Bible department, I had to take a world religions class. The guy that taught the world religions class 
On the very first day of class, he said, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he was buried and he resurrected. And that's where I put my faith. But he said, you're not going to hear me say that for the rest of the semester. So as we teach about these other world religions, I'm going to teach it from the most non-biased perspective that I can. So for the next four months, we studied all the major world religions, all the religions you've probably never heard of, all the places in the world where these religions are a little more dominant than other places. And for the first time in my life, I found myself, at least with my faith, a little bit numb thinking, I wonder why I believe what I believe. Is Jesus really the one? Do I believe that because I'm culturally conditioned to believe it? So I had to go on a little journey myself to discover the answer to that question. And I realized during that semester, if I can answer that question with a yes, that Jesus is the one, that will determine the way I live the rest of my life. And I don't know how I came to the conclusion I believe God's hand was in it, but at the end of that semester, I could say, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the one. So I think John's question is a great question. Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? That's the second part of verse 3. You know, they've been looking for a Messiah for centuries. They wanted somebody to save them, and what they were expecting was what? They were looking for somebody to come in and lead a military and overthrow Rome. So what John is thinking is, should we start the journey over? We put all of our hope in you. We thought you were going to be the Messiah, but should we look for somebody else? And John's question gives a little teaser for the disciples' journey later on. From the text that Ty read this morning from Matthew 28, when Jesus on Friday dies on a cross, his disciples who had given up everything to follow him. The fishermen had left their boats and their business behind. The tax collectors had left that behind. They had given up their families. They had given up everything to follow Jesus, and they watch him die. They watch him breathe his last breath. And then two men take his body, place him in a tomb, and seal it shut. So on Friday and Saturday, the disciples might be thinking, he wasn't the one. Now we start over. Now we have to look for another. We're going to come back to the resurrection in just a moment. So Jesus answers John in Matthew 11. He says, go tell John what you see and what you hear. The lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the dead are raised, lepers are cleansed, and the good news is preached to the poor. It's a pretty impressive resume. The things that Jesus What he was doing, his ministry, he was doing only what God can do. So that should be a convincing proof for John, but somehow the impressive resume of Jesus seems to fuel John's doubts even further. He knows all these things. He's sitting in a prison cell and he's hearing about all these great things that Jesus is doing. But he still sends the question, are you the one? And then in verse 6, Jesus says something very strange. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know, you read through Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, or you can read through Luke 6, and you can look at these Beatitudes, 
And occasionally Jesus would say, blessed is, blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he would go through these blessings. And every time Jesus says blessed, it seems to be a reversal of the way the world operates and thinks. And here in verse 6, Jesus says to John, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. Which makes me ask, why would anybody be offended by Jesus? Why would John be offended by Jesus? Why would he fall away on account of Christ? Maybe one of the ways that, one of the subtle messages that Jesus is sending John's way through this is hang on. You're blessed if you hang on to your faith. Even in the midst of this darkness and this pain and this trial that you're in, you may not get what you want. I may not come and bust you out of the prison cell, but hang on to your faith because something greater is coming. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus really the one and how would we know that? Our scripture reading this morning was from Matthew 28. And I want to read that one more time this morning and just comment on a few things. Because this, I believe, is the answer to the question, is Jesus really the one? But we need to talk about a few things after we read this. Starting in verse 1, after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow, for fear of the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And then Jesus makes his first appearance to these women. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. So there's a lot of convincing proofs here. You know, preachers and Christian authors have talked a lot about how the first eyewitnesses were women. And in that culture, that's not who you would normally pick as a credible eyewitness. But the fact that the Gospels leave it in there is proof that it's true. So Mary and Mary come to the tomb. The angels speak to him and they said, he's been raised, in verse 6. Just as he said. Jesus had said that he was coming back. So it's almost like, what else did you expect? And I love the first words that Jesus says. You ever notice that? He just says, greetings. It's like saying, hey, what's up? I'm back. You know, what else would you expect? He told them it was going to happen, and there he is. A moment that changes everything. C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard that name many times before, he said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. I've heard many people say before, well, Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus was a good man, and regardless of whether or not the resurrection actually happened, or whether or not he actually really was Lord, he's still a good teacher, a great humanitarian. He taught a lot of great things. But according to C.S. Lewis, is that anybody who claims to be God and claims that he's going to die and come back, he's either lying to you, he's crazy, or he really is who he says he is. 
So the resurrection, what we read about in Matthew 28 and the other gospel stories, what Paul talks about in his letters, is the resurrection is the answer to John's question in Matthew 11. Are you the one or should we look for somebody else? When Mary and Mary go to that tomb and it's empty and the angel said he's been raised and then Jesus finds them and says, greetings, there's the answer to the question. He really is the one. And if you can wrestle with that in your own life and come to a conclusion and say, I do believe he's alive, I believe in the resurrection, then that will determine the way that you live the rest of your life. But it also determines how you face death. I've already mentioned death can be a frightening thing. As John found himself in a prison cell, scared because of what was coming. John was not alive to see the resurrection of Jesus, so it's like Jesus was asking him to put his faith in something that he's not going to be alive to actually see. But he gives him a glimpse when he says the dead are raised. About three years ago, it was the night before Easter, and I was in our kitchen, I was reviewing the sermon that I was about to preach the next morning, you know, Easter, usually you have a bigger crowd. So I spent every Saturday night reviewing, but this particular Saturday night, you know, you're really in the zone. It was about 1045 at night, and my phone rang, which is pretty late on a Saturday night. It's not that common. And when I saw who was calling, I knew what the call was about. There was a family at our church who about a year before that had a daughter that was born that was not expected to live very long. In fact, she lived and we celebrated her one-year-old birthday, which they believe was like a miracle. But hospice had been called in and they knew that she wasn't going to live very long. And that night I got a call saying that she had just passed away and they asked if I would come over to the house. So I'm in my kitchen preparing a sermon about hope and resurrection and the one who defeated death. And I just get a call that somebody had died and I have to go over to the house. And I went and I sat in the living room, and there was a lot of people from church over there. And I watched as the parents held their child, and the hospice workers were great, and told them, take your time. You know, when you're ready, we'll take the child out. So we just sat in silence with the family. It was probably one of the most gut-wrenching feelings I'd ever had in my life. And then the dad, they also had a five-year-old daughter, he asked me, Will you explain to her where her sister is? And I was just sitting there thinking, I can't do it. Like, I tried. I tried to get the words out, but I I couldn't do it. I was thinking about my own kids and this whole situation. So thankfully, there was somebody there, uh, an older gentleman who had been through something like this before. So he said, I'll do it. And he squatted down to talk to this girl, and he said, do you know where your sister is? Which I thought was a weird question because they were holding her body right there. But this five-year-old girl, without missing a beat, She said, yeah, she's with Jesus. It's like she didn't even have to think twice about it. That there was just something inside of her that was just completely convinced, even more than the adults in the room, yeah, she's with Jesus. She didn't have to have anybody explain it to her. But as I reflect back on that night, I know one thing is true about that family. That many years before that ever happened, many years before they went through this tragedy, They wrestled with the same question, are you the one? Is Jesus really the one? And they answered that question with a yes. And because they believed that, 
despite how horrible that situation was, there was still a glimmer of hope and peace in that room. Something that I can't even really describe to you. But their faith and their belief that Jesus really is the one is what got them through something like that. In Matthew 28, when when the angels say he's been raised, that changes everything and it still does. So we celebrate that this morning. And this morning we're going to sing a few more songs. And if you're in this audience and, and you're still wrestling with the question, is Jesus really the one? You can find one of our shepherds or you can come talk to me or come talk to someone and we would be glad to talk you through that. If you think Jesus really is the one and you want to respond to that, the invitation is for you also. Let's stand and let's continue our worship.